0: Welcome to Hub City Homers Episode 9 in our first post-game episode. We are here now on Monday. Had a couple days to process everything that's happened from this weekend. Um, I think there's still another football game on tonight, or was it earlier today? Regardless, we are now almost officially all the way through Week 1. The Big 12 was fairly strong, but most importantly, Texas Tech knocked off the Houston Cougars in in NRG Stadium. It was a great game, a wild game that despite the final score was fairly hotly contested. So we're going to get into all of that jazz recapping the Houston Cougar game. We're going to talk about things Tech did well, things Tech didn't do well, how we think the outlook of the season has changed so far. We're going to look a little bit at Stephen F. Austin, but to be honest, just none of us here are that worried about that game. So we're going to focus a lot more on the Big 12 as a whole, how did everybody do, conference opponents we should be kind of looking out for and we're going to look ahead to the end of the year, you know, has tech ceiling changed as a result of what we think'll happen next couple of weeks. Well, we're going to start off though looking at that Houston game. It was like I said, it was one of the wilder games I've ever watched from tech and a game I know for a fact we would have lost even as much as last year, I think you lose this game. Um, we're going to go to Jack first with this one, Jack. You're looking at the first half. It was about the worst possible start, you know. When you were watching, what went wrong in that first half that allowed Houston to kind of seize complete control of that game?
1: Well, I think you're uh, you're on the field for 13 minutes in the first quarter alone as a defense, and that's going to wear any defense out. It doesn't matter if you're six deep at every single position. I mean, you're going to get worn out being on the field for that long. I think that was a big part of both of their scoring drives. I think the first scoring drive, you know, they kind of caught us on our heels, maybe a little uh, first game jitters. And then, uh, I mean, Holgerson rolling the dice and going with that onside kick. Um, It should have been fielded. I don't, uh, I mean, I don't really know what happened there. I don't know what the reason was for diving at the ball when there was no one around but um, unless maybe he lost his footing or something, but that ball needs to be caught. It, it, it also hits you in the hands and you're kind of on that front line for that reason. Um, special teams for me as a whole was not very strong for the whole game. Really? Um, I think the highlight was a 34 yard field goal. Um, other than that, our, our kick return was terrible. Uh, Part-of-turn Mannix did pretty well, so I don't really have any complaints about that. Um, the kickoff uh, was pretty good. Uh, Derek Lewis played great, had a great uh, down-the-field tackle in the third quarter. But in the first half specifically, I think you got to look at the defense being on the field for 13 minutes of the first quarter. And I also think that the lack of playing time together from the offensive line really reared its head a little bit. Uh, I don't feel like uh, Shuck had very much time to throw. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty impressed that we even got seven points on the board because I, I really haven't seen the stat for time of possession in the first half, but I don't think we could. There's no way I think we had more than, you know, 10 minutes of possession in that first half. So I don't think that's a recipe for success against Houston, much less against, you know, Stephen F. Austin or Florida International. And certainly not a re- good recipe for success against any uh, future Big 12 opponents.
0: The first half, to me, is a case study in how not to start your season. You know, you, you looked, the defense looked completely out of sorts, which was bizarre. Because I think most people thought that, you know, the, the side of the ball that would struggle the most Coming into this year was the offense, and you know when the offensive line blocked, the offense was great. Uh, 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 what Cumby scripted, with this, the the overall feel of the offense was really really good. But you know outside of the whole not blocking thing, just randomly, which is going to have to get cleaned up. But what was really odd to me was the defense just didn't look prepared. the 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 odd front completely didn't work. Um, They didn't look like they knew how to get lined up. The coverage busts were weird. Like they, it just looked like guys just didn't know what they were doing. They don't look at halftime that obviously that's when the script flipped, but that's when it looked like they actually knew how to line up that first couple fourth down attempts that Houston took. We didn't have anybody over center. I mean, it was just bizarre. There were huge holes for them to line up and run through to pick up those fourth down conversions. And I just thought that 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 was about the worst possible way the season could have started. If you would ask me what the nightmare scenario it is, it was Houston playing ball control, scoring with ease, getting the ball right away, stealing that possession back, and then you finally show, you know, you're going to step into this game and throw a punch of your own after Ezekama's big gain off that screen, and you fumble the ball the next play. Um, It was just an awful, awful start to the year. It... And like I said when I started, I don't think even a couple of years ago, or even last year, you know, these Matt Wells teams would have lost this game. That would have been it. It would have been a blowout. Once all that went wrong, there was no chance these other Matt Wells teams would have woken up. And you come into half twenty-one seventeen. Houston has all the momentum. Steel. You know, you don't look good. You haven't looked like you can really stop Houston. It just it wasn't the start that anybody expected. I thought that if anything. What could happen is both teams look a little slow. What I did not co- expect happening was Houston just punching the mouth like that. And to your point about kickoff return, um, that what the hell was Townsend doing? He was the return man for a lot of that. Every every kickoff was an adventure. I mean, it, it, the squib kicks, the onside kicks. I just, I, I thought, you know, special teams is the one thing that it doesn't show up on the stat sheet really until you know something goes horribly wrong. And in that game, there were several instances where we just looked bizarrely out of sorts on our kickoff return. The onside kick not being fielded, even though it basically hit him. And Townsend was just terrible, which I wonder if that impacted some of his playing time. Otherwise, is that he was just god-awful returning kicks. Um, You know, it just... uh, When you look at the first half as a whole, it was one of the worst halves of football Tech has played in a very long time. Uh, If it wasn't for Houston... Not being very good, Tech would have been run out of that stadium in the first
1: half. I I agree one hundred percent, and it's again I'll restate that it's nothing short of a miracle that you're only down twenty one to seven at half. Yeah, it uh, just, that that can't be understated. There.
0: Yeah, it just um, it's just one of those things that I don't know if we weren't prepared, if people were caught napping, if it was nerves, something wasn't right. It didn't look like anybody. Besides, hysterically enough, Tyler Shuck was really ready to play, and as a comma, you know those two guys came out firing. Brooks picked it up after the after the fumble and did a great job as as a running back. Though weirdly, we weren't handing him the ball more in the first half. It just there was a lot that didn't feel right about that first half. But it wasn't the side of the ball. I think most of us expected the majority of the problems to come from. You know, if Xavier White doesn't fumble that football, Tech probably heads into halftime leading. It was just the most, the craziest part about all that. I think Tech would have gone into halftime leading if Xavier White had just held on to the damn ball. Because it would have been 14 to 7. Houston probably would have punted on the next drive, anyways. You were just overdue for a stop. And then I think the offense would have gone down and scored. And then at that point, it's a fresh game at 14 14. So that fumble was a really big moment. And it just. It speaks to how terrible Houston is that they couldn't put Tech away when they were playing that badly and shooting themselves in the foot that often. But, you know, Kendall, you were looking at the first half as a whole. Outside of, you know, the the just total lack of preparedness that we kind of saw, how do you personally try to explain what Houston was able to do offensively in that first half?
2: Well... Texas Tech wasn't able to get any sort of pass rush in that whole first half. It that pass rush was non-existent and it looked just like last year where we could not get any pressure on the quarterback or anyone. We couldn't get any push and they're going on that first and second drive they went for it multiple times on fourth down and we just looked not ready up front and I think they were just getting out punished on both sides of the ball and They were showing no sort of push at any point in that first half, and I think that really turned around in the second half on both sides of the ball.
0: What stands out to me most about um, this game is this was a, a, a case test for Matt Wells' adjustments as a head coach. Because while I thought the offense came out with a strong game plan, it fell apart at times, when it became apparent that your right tackle can't block. He just, he could not block. And that's when we started to see, you know, Kuhn starts to record these catches towards the end of the game. It was because you had to keep him in. You had to keep him in the game in order to help block because you couldn't hold up to a four-man pressure, which is not good. But, it's you know, Keith Patterson realizes, you know, Houston is eating us alive if we stay in these even fronts. Are we stay in these odd fronts, I mean. So let's go to an even front. Let's start bringing more pressure. Let's start trying to get to tune. And when that happened, the game changed. So we get to the second half, and everything is, the the whole story is completely different from this point on. Your first drive of the second half is an unmitigated disaster. I thought, sitting up in the press box, that yo, shit, more of the same. What follows is one of the all-time great defensive performances from Texas Tech. It was helped by the fact that Clayton Toon sucks at quarterback. But a lot of his trouble came from the fact that we finally got to him. You know, you finally got to him. Jalen Hutchins played great. Colin Schooler was all over the board. Rico Jeffers was all over. Tony Bradford was all over. They just ate alive anything Houston tried to do on the ground. They got pressure on Toon. And they made him beat Tech. And lo and behold, a bad quarterback couldn't do that. But, you know, Jack, you the, the first half is such a disaster. I'm not even going to talk about a player of the first half who stood out. But in the second half, which is when Tech took over, who is who do you think in your mind flipped the switch the most that allowed Tech to take charge of that game?
1: Uh, in my opinion, I, I would like to go with two people. And it's Jalen Hutchings and Tony Bradford. Uh, I think that you go down and you, like you said, you you have a terrible you have a terrible first possession, and then you see something from Jalen Hutchings in a sack that was a huge play. He kind of got he kind of got almost taken out by the offensive lineman. He kind of does this half barrel roll where he gets up and just keeps going and gets tuned down so he sacks him, and then you have, you know, on the next possession, I I think it was the next possession, after Tech has scored, Tony Bradford comes up with a huge sack, and then on the next play, Toon throws that pick six to Rico Jeffers, so, I mean, that is a, those are huge, you know, plays that are, I mean, they don't necessarily, they show up as sacks, but... You know, if you unless you saw them live or just watched it on TV, you know, you then you really know the uh the importance of those plays. Uh, you know, like I said, Schooler was everywhere. Um I I wrote an article earlier in the year and I said that Texas Tech linebackers were the best in the Big 12, and I still think that after this game. Uh Schooler had 10 tackles, uh, Merriweather had seven. Uh Josiah Pierre, from the transfer from Florida, had five. Rico Jeffers had four. Uh, Boyer Randall had four. And uh, so you're just – you're all over the – I mean, you had so many guys chip in. Uh, Merriweather had one and a half tackles for loss. Uh, Pierre had half a sack. I mean, so you have – I'm sorry, half a tackle for loss. So, I mean, these linebackers really – Wherever they're flying, they're all over the place. I felt like any time that the ball was underneath 10 yards in that second half, there was a linebacker on it immediately. Um, I feel like the the coverage tightened up quite a bit in the second half also. Um, Reggie Pearson Jr., man, what a game. What a game from him. You know, eight tackles. Uh, he had a pick. And uh, forced fumble also. So, I mean, he played out of his mind. Uh, Eric Monroe had a pick, too. He had five tackles. Uh, A person that I also like to, you know, give some kudos to is another D lineman, Devin Drew. Devin Drew had five tackles also. And, you know, he's kind of in that other spot that uh, Bradford and Hutchings aren't in, that they're not rotating sometimes. Uh, Bradford and Hutchings are on the field at the same time, but when they're not, uh, you know, Devin Drew's in there, and he had five tackles on that D-line. So it was just a great effort by everyone on that defensive side. I think you – I've said multiple times that Keith Patterson was the best coordinator that Matt Wells brought with him. I still think that, and it's obvious now, especially now that Yost is gone, but uh, Keith Patterson – really willed this team and his adjustments at halftime were some of the best that I've seen. And yes, it does help that anytime there was any pressure, Clayton Toon just folded like a lawn chair. But, uh, you know, it still is goes down as one of the best performances. I do want to throw out one more stat. Last year, all of last year, in 10 games, Tech had five interceptions as a team, and Tech had four against Houston. So that's a good start in my opinion.
0: Toon definitely helps you out with some of those picks, but I want to say one thing is other than the Re- Rico Jeffers interception, where he really did just throw it to the wrong guy, it was just a bad read. You know, the rest of them he got a little bit of help from Toon, but they were great individual plays to make happen. Pearson went up and got it over Keyshawn Carter. And I, I, I know some people, will, well, he got beat. No, you know, as a safety, he was at, he was at pace with the receiver. Toon might have thrown a little bit better ball to give that even a chance, but that was a bad throw. You know, Pearson covered him up. It was great man coverage excuse me, not man coverage, but it was great coverage by Pearson to get to Keyshawn Carter, who was legitimately just trying to run by the secondary. So he swallowed him up, Toon put a little bit too little on it, which made it a jump ball, and Pearson made a great play. Eric, both Eric Monroe and Adrian Fry made great plays to get the ball. Eric Monroe's in particular. I mean, that the, there were a few moments in the game where more stunning than that little tip-drill interception. It was a great heads-up ball play. So, you know, bad quarterback play aside, which is what the Houston folks are going to focus on. Tech went up and stole those interceptions. Other than Rico Jeffers and maybe that second eight, that last picked Adrian Fry, even then he had to go get it. But other than the Rico Jeffers one, really, you know, Tech made plays to get the forced turnovers and, that that's a great sign because the best tech defenses of the last ten to fifteen years have been defenses that have turned people over at a high level. You know, I think tech looked all around better defensively. They tackled well, guys flew to the ball well, coverage other than those two weird busts were pretty much better. Um, there was some there was some underneath stuff that Toon missed and some stuff long where he just missed a guy, but well, by and large, it was a better. Um, coverage effort than we've seen from a lot of tech teams. And the pressure was a lot better once Keith Patterson adjusted his fronts. But, you know, you add in the secret sauce for tech, which is going to be to become a great defense or just a good defense, you're going to have to turn people over because you're not quite yet going to be in a place where your secondary is just locking out, you know, uh, every receiver you face. Your defensive line not going to get home with three-man pressures that often. You can't be a great defense yet so you just want to be a good one. And what's going to allow you to take that step is one. Finally, they look fundamentally sound. And then the second thing is take the ball away. And tech did that really, really well on that Saturday night. And that chain, the interceptions are the difference in the game. Um, the last one being kind of garbage time, but the others literally were the only reason tech won. U of H stole a possession. What gave tech that possession back were those interceptions. Um, you know, especially when the offense was struggling basically every other drive to block basic um, pressures. It was a big help that you could depend on the defense to one, score for you, and two, cut U of H's drives off. But Kendall, we talked about the secondary. That's where most of the transfers have come. How would you grade out the folks that we brought in to shore up the back end? We've talked about Pearson Muddy Waters, another guy that his name called. How how do you think they did as a whole? Or even just, really, how do you think the secondary unit did as a whole on Saturday night?
2: Uh, I think it definitely started out pretty shaky. Um, and I really wasn't sure what to expect after that first drive. But I think overall, you have to be more than impressed with how the secondary looked. I mean, obviously, causing four turnovers is amazing, but it just seemed like uh, Houston's receivers had no room to breathe just that whole second half. And there was a couple breakdowns here and there, but overall that second half, I thought the secondary was just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and I think if they play like that throughout the whole regular season, that it's going to be really exciting just about every week just to see them go against a lot of better receivers within the Big 12. And I think that they were probably – the group I was most impressed with as far as the jump they took in the off season.
0: We've talked a lot about the defense. We're going to look at the offense now, just because the defense is the story of the game to me, you know, the offense, they weren't underwhelming, but, and you know, Tyler Shuck, we'll, we'll talk to him about, but he looked good. Eric as a comma who we're going to talk about a lot was phenomenal, but, The story of the game was the defense holding Houston to nothing after half. I think total yards was 43 total yards in that entire second half. But offensively, the first half is a bit of a mixed bag. Other than the Xavier White fumble, you really did move the ball pretty well. Um, That was a long drive that should have ended in in, in a touchdown. Brooks rattles off a huge 41-yard one to get you seven. You just didn't touch the ball that much. Um, The only drive I think that was really wasted was after the the Pearson pick, going nowhere that next drive was a big shame. The most concerning aspect of this was obviously the offensive line. Particularly, to me, it looks like the right side of the offensive line was having a ton of problems. Um, That would be Caleb Rodgers, our starting right tackle. There were times where guys just ran by him. I mean, they were just running around him, through him, whatever they needed to do to get home. I didn't think Houston blitzed a ton in this game. You know, they would bring – Five guys max because they were concerned about calm on the back end beating them, which they should have been because every time they set him on an island, he just stiff armed a tiny little 5'8 receiver who, or corner, I mean, who tried to cover him up and picked up 40. So it made sense that they weren't bringing a crazy amount of pressures. It was concerning to see entire sides of the offensive line collapse under basic pressure. Um, uh, that was true throughout the game. It was the really, the only thing this team didn't do well that night at all was pass block. I thought that the receivers ran good routes and blocked hard. I thought, other than Xavier White, who didn't look good, you know, your run game was really, really strong, primarily led by Brooks. I don't think Townsend even got a touch, but Brooks was amazing every time he touched the ball. And you're going to get Sir Roger Thompson back. So I'm still not concerned about the running backs. Shuck was all that he was advertised to be. <clears throat> really, only made one or two bad decisions that game. Um, when he had time, he typically put it on the money. And uh, and your 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 tight ends, other than Tharp's drop, were great. You know, Kuntz is probably going to be the lead tight end this year. Tharp being a freshman, you know, we weren't expecting to see a ton of him yet. But Kuntz was great. He blocked well. He ran good routes. He got open. He was this this the the security blanket you want your tight ends to be. The problem was that the pass blocking was. God-awful. I mean, I, I've i seen Tech block worse. The best example being that TCU game last year where I, that was just complete ineptitude. But the biggest concern has to be the offensive line pass blocking. That's the most veteran unit on the team. It's the unit we expected to give us the second least amount of problems other than the running backs because they're so experienced. We brought in Stormont to shore them up. Um, they just looked horrible. But... Uh, as a whole, you know that that's my take on what didn't go right. But Jack, looking at the offense as a whole, what did go right Saturday night that allowed Tech to to one keep keep pace with Houston when they were st- it felt like the game was getting a little bit away, and two, what allowed them to overtake Houston and finish it off?
1: Uh, for me, it's two words, and it's Eric Azukama. That dude balled out uh, seven catches, one hundred and seventy nine yards. It's an average of 25.6 yards per catch. Uh, he's all first-team Big 12 preseason for a reason. Uh, there were times that I, I, I'll I say, I mean, I think Azukama kind of bailed out Shuck a couple times. I think a couple of those were... Them having just a good relationship uh, and Chuck kind of giving him a chance to go get it. You know, he's going to throw it out there and say, okay, you know what? You can, you're going to, you're going to Randy Moss, this five foot eight corner, then do it. Go out and do it. Go make your, uh, go get your name in the paper. You know, uh, I think that, I think that all off season, uh, you know, kind of listening to what Houston was going to throw at us. Uh, all I heard was that how good Marcus Jones was uh, and how he was going to shut down uh, tech receivers. All I heard, all we heard pretty much was how good their corners were and how they were going to shut us down in the throwing game. Uh, seven catches in 179 yards. Sounds like uh, the complete opposite of shutting it down to me. Um, you know, Marcus Jones was put on, put on an Island with Ezukama. I don't really know how fair that is because Marcus Jones is a tiny dude. He's, I think he's listed as five nine one eighty, 180 And Ezukama is listed at like six three two twenty. 220 So I don't really know how fair that is, but I mean, you know, he, he just, he just manhandled him all night. That's pretty much the bottom line there. Um, other than that, I think Travis Coons played really well. He had some great blocks uh, in the run game, and he also had some really clutch catches down the field. If you were to look at the stat and not know, if I were to ask you who was next on the team in catches, it was Travis Coons. He had four catches for 28 yards. And that's surprising in a way, but it's a decent, it's a good surprise because, you know, if those tight ends get going, it just adds another dimension to this offense, uh, other than your running backs and your receivers. Um, I would like to see some other receivers step up a little bit, give Azukama, you know, some sort of, I guess, break on the offense, you know. Uh, Geiger had three catches for 11 yards. Trey Cleveland had one catch for six. Rigdon had one for four. And Xavier White had that three-yard touchdown catch uh, to pretty much put the game away. But uh, you know, you'd like to you'd like to see some more people step up in uh, in the receiving card, which is what we kind of thought was going to happen in the first place. You know, we we knew that the receivers were a little inexperienced and there wasn't much depth there. Um, but you know, we need to see some guys step up at that position. Um, I feel really good about. <laughs> I mean, putting up 38 points in 23 minutes of time. We, we ended the game with 23 minutes and 23 seconds of possession in this game. So not even two full quarters, not even half. And the fact that you still put up 38 points in 23 minutes is a pretty decent, uh, it's a decent stat. And I'd, I'd take 38 points in 23 minutes any day of the week. Hopefully we'll get more (laughs) possession in the upcoming weeks. Uh, But I think that was a big factor. Um, I'd like to also take this opportunity to shout out the Houston transfers from Texas Tech. They played a great game, I believe. Let me see if I can pull this up real quick. Tazan Henry had two carries for minus two yards and four catches for 24 yards. Keyshawn Carter, one catch for nine yards. And Alex Hogan had two tackles. Uh, so everyone, including Kyler Edwards, is going to have a real nice sleep after this game. And um, that's pretty much what caught my eye. Um, again, I just the special teams... The kickoff return, mostly for me, is what needs to be looked at. No, Like you said earlier, it didn't feel comfortable. Nothing felt comfortable on that side or in that aspect of the game. So I don't know how you come into the first game so unprepared, having the full offseason to work on one opponent. But, uh, you know, what happened happened. Now let's go out and get better this week.
0: You mentioned Keyshawn Carter and Tazan Henry, which is funny just because, you know, we, I think in our preview episode, we expected both of those two guys to carry a significant load for Houston. And to be honest, neither one did anything. I mean, Keyshawn Carter's big play was the one that Pearson picked off. That was the, I think the only deep ball they really went to him with. They might've gone one more that was overthrown, but, um, Tazon Henry wasn't even the second or third back option, which I was stunned about because, you know, I, I thought that their little back car was okay. You know, I thought he was, he was slippery, but I don't think there's any doubt that Tazon Henry's a better back than a lot of the guys Houston ran with. And in particular, I think that the fact that they didn't go to him at all, really, I, I was surprised about, you know, that he didn't leave tech because he was a bad player. He left tech because he became the second or third option instead of the starter. You know, there there's a reason why, you know, I I, I thought that he would dominate at Houston. That is, he had to be more talented than anybody they've got in their backfield. And to not see him really get touches was crazy. The flip side of that is every time he touched the ball, it looked like it was everybody's personal mission to go hit him. I mean, that was true anytime Houston ran north and south. The hole just completely closed, and there was nowhere for anybody to go. But Tazon Henry, it did look like they made it their personal mission to punish him and hit him hard. I mean, it, it, Houston's best plays were all east and west, um, which is concerning because, you know, with our defense being what it is, you would expect um, – you would expect us to be able to cover space like that, especially when we were in those odd fronts early and everybody was kind of spread out of the box. But um, you know, he just—he was completely ineffective, and Keyshawn Carter was non-existent. And you know, Alex Hogan had one really big hit that got everybody really excited, and then otherwise it was just domination by by Tech offensively uh, for stretches when they could block. Um, Eric is a comma. The craziest thing about me is we're—we're going to talk about the guy who's covering him. And, you know, he was 5'9", so there was a size mismatch. But that guy's, like, the second-best corner in the American. Or the best corner in the American. You know, his size is what's going to grab the headline because it was such a big mismatch. But make no mistake, the actual coverage was as good as anything Ezekama will face all year. That kid is an all-American, second-team all-American caliber guy. Um, Very, very talented. Very good. And Ezekama made it look easy. He just made it look easy. Um it was the same thing with Brooks. You know, Brooks is not Tech's home run back. He busted out for two 40-yard runs. It was it was a clear from the second half onward who the better team was. Um, it, it, it really did demonstrate one thing that I thought was true. Houston, the onside kick got Houston hyped up, and it was a way for them to throw a punch and all that jazz. But there was very little doubt who the better team was for most of that game. Tech was leaps and bounds better. Um, you know, but we... It, there, there's a lot that has to get better for Tech to continue this. Like I said, we're not really going to talk much about Stephen F. Austin because no offense to Lumberjacks, Tech should beat their brains out. I mean, it should be a 30-plus win. Um, but we are going to talk about lessons learned for the rest of the season. So, Kendall, you're, you're a Tech assistant. You're an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, any, any coach. Um, what's the lesson learned to you that's the most important for the team to take away and start working on getting fixed?
2: obviously the uh, offensive line struggles are uh really one thing that stood out especially in that first half and i think that's something that definitely needs to be addressed but i think the most important thing and it did get addressed for the second half but i just think having a consistent pass rush was the biggest difference uh in that second half and i think that's what really helped spark the tech defense was just how much push the defensive line was getting and just the difference that that made throughout the whole second half offensively and defensively, it felt like everything just changed once we started getting after tune, basically every single play, but both definitely both lines just need to be addressed more. And I also think uh, another thing is we talked about preseason was, the uh, wide receiver depth and how concerning that was that really there was nothing there, but, and no, and that proved to be true because other than Izukama, comma, uh, the only receiver that had more than 20 yards was Kuntz and he had picked up two of his receptions late in the second half. So I think there's quite a few things that still need to be addressed, but it was a good start for week one. The receiving court to me
0: is, is what jumps off the page. Because Ezekom is gonna face coverage guys who are as good as what he faced last night because he's gonna get everybody's best effort. You know, Houston threw a really talented corner at him and he made it look easy just because of how much physically dominant or how much size he had on the guy, how physically dominant he was, how great of a receiver he is. You know, but there are gonna be times where teams are gonna put him in a in a bracket. They're gonna put two, three guys around him in a little zone, like a little isolation situation, and they're gonna make you go find somebody else. Um it's clear that Azukama's Shucks, you know, go-to guy. That relationship's established, so you have to find option two. That may be Koontz. That may be Geiger. You know, we saw a little bit of Miles Price flash. We saw a little bit of, of um, rigged in it going, going long, forcing that late PI, where he almost came down with the ball. Um, so, you know, you saw, you saw flashes of potential, but you need somebody to step up and take some pressure off Ezekama. because he's going to draw double and triple teams if teams think that that's all they got to take care of. I think that this was an aberration. It was just so easy for Azacama to get open long that when we had opportunities to go deep, it just didn't make sense to do anything other than throw him the ball and make sure he came down with it. I mean, I think he came down with every deep ball thrown his way, might have stepped out of bounds once, and then the offensive PI, but it was just too easy. It was so simple to go long to him that it just didn't make sense to do it with anybody else. But if if your offensive line is going to block better, which has to happen. I'm not going to say that's a lesson learned just because if it doesn't happen, Tech will lose a bunch of games this year. And, you know, it it, it, it couldn't be any more glaring that there's problems. But to me, the biggest lesson learned from that night is something that I think every Tech fan's been screaming about since Keith Patterson came over. Keith Patterson's been a great defensive coordinator at adjusting, but the adjustment is always the same. Get out of the three-man front, Bring a fourth guy up to the line and scoot your DBs up. Just the backed-up three-man front that we do every time is mind-bogglingly dumb. It's never worked for us. Last night, what was killing Tech was Houston saw these defensive backs backed up seven yards so they just ran little swing passes and little short throws. Or they ran really long drag routes across the field because they know a three-man front can't get home, so they just waited for the receivers to clear the secondary and find the pocket and let Toon dump it off. I love Keith Patterson as a coach. I think he adjusts really well when his scheme's not working. But when your scheme consistently doesn't work, it's time to stop starting in that scheme. But that's where kind of at where I'm at with it. Jack, I'll ask the same question to you. What's the biggest lesson you learned from Saturday night?
1: The biggest lesson I learned from Saturday night is that this team can take coaching. Um, you know, I agree 100% with your take earlier in this pod saying that I think that if this is played last year, I think Tech loses this game by about 35 points. Uh, I think it probably ends up being, you know, around – 45 to 10, maybe 45 to 17 Houston. Um, but just the, the ability to overcome some adversity, uh, it, that has not been there for the past couple of years in the Matt Wells era. So it's really refreshing to be able to see that for a change. Um, you know, I think it's very possible that this team goes 3-0 and into that first Big 12 game against Texas in Austin. Um, but there are, there are some issues that need to be overcome. I just agree with everything that's already been said, you know, the O-line, uh, pass blocking, um, got to clean it up. Absolutely. These, these two games upcoming are very good opportunities to do just that. Uh, you know, your run blocking was pretty Okay. Uh, it allowed, you allowed Brooks to get to the second level. And once he gets to the second level, you know, he just did all the rest himself. Um, but you know, the, the D line, once they get pressure, obviously that's going to be a big key. Um, I also feel like, you know, just, just in, or just give Chuck just a little bit more time. I feel like that's where the blocking breaking down on the right side of the line was huge just because he can see it. Uh, I'm not saying you want your line to break down, but, uh, you know, it's kind of easier to overlook something coming behind you that you can't see, like possibly on the left side. I don't think that happens with Stormont over there. He's a, he's a great O lineman, but, um, Like my biggest takeaway was the fact that this team overcame adversity and uh, outscored Houston thirty-one to nothing in the second half. Um, I really haven't seen that type of battling from a Tech team, (laughs) and it seems like forever. But um, it was a really refreshing thing to see, and uh, you know, I'm here for it.
0: We are going to move on from the Saturday night just because, as fun as it is to relive what was a great win for Matt Wells and a must-win game. You know, as wild as that game was, we do have another, you know, what, what do we got, 12 games-ish, assuming we get we get the bowl. Um, so and I'm just going to go ahead and assume we make a bowl game, knock on wood. But looking at the rest of the season, what last this weekend told me about tax ceiling is it's as high as I thought it was at the start of the year. You know, the offense under Sunday and may not be quite as good as what Cliff Kingsbury produced, but it's pretty damn good when it's working. If you fix the offensive line, there aren't a lot of holes in this team. You have elite talent, Tyler Shuck, who we haven't called up by name really much was as good as advertised. Um, you know, I think that he threw a, a very pretty ball and he made good decisions. He's quick. He other than I think there was one drag route to Geiger where it just stuck too long and he was too late with it. And that's why he got sacked. But for the most part, pressure didn't phase him. He tried to make great decisions. He put the ball in play and let receivers go make plays. Um, so I was very impressed with him, which tells me the offense is gonna be pretty good. We saw that the defense is best is as good as it needs to be. You know, they're not gonna be Clemson, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan level defenses. They don't have to be, but this is shaping up to be a very good tech defense. So for me, the biggest change from how I viewed last night is just uh, confirmation that now you'll be 3-0 heading into conference play. I'm not I'm not even going to pretend to be worried about Stephen F Austin and FIU. You know, I'll go back and eat those words later. If like if a if a disaster happens, but I can't pretend to be worried about teams like that. So let's look ahead to the Big Twelve record. You're at three and zero, and I'll I'll start with Kendall. You're at three zero to start the year, presumably. Regardless, even if you think Tech could drop one of these next two, your first Big Twelve game being Texas, I believe your last is Baylor. Um, what if you're looking at what you learned from last night? What do you think Tech's final Big Twelve? record is for the year and by extension their overall record
2: i think right now tech's only certain losses in the big 12 or as close to certain and i don't even think it's certain would be iowa state and oklahoma but the way those two teams played week one there gives me a lot of belief that if tech is playing at their best they could give those two a run for their money too i think that tech's record in the big 12 could be as good as possibly having two, three losses in the Big 12. It also could be as bad as only possibly beating Kansas and Kansas State or West Virginia. Like, it's, I think their ceiling, if they're playing at their best in a lot of these big games like Texas, Iowa State, Oklahoma, I think they have a chance against all of them. But realistically, I'd say they could be looking anywhere from a fourth to. Ninth place finish. It just all depends about consistency at this point.
0: Jack, I'll give you the same question. You're looking at the Big Twelve, how it performed after Week One. It's hard not to react to week, overreact to Week One, but it, you kind of have to. You know, there's always a little noise there. But where we stand right now, how do you think Tech finishes in the Big Twelve, knowing what you know now after Week One?
1: Well, I think, uh, I mean. Going down the line here, uh, it's a toss-up kind of in uh, what I think. I I agree with Kendall on a lot of what he said. You know, I I think that, you know, if you play your best football, you know, I see that maybe you only lose at Oklahoma and, you know, maybe at home against Iowa State. Um, However, on the flip side... You know, if something happens, and you know, if we see a first quarter type scenario in all of these Big Twelve games, you know, I don't think that you can really do that against really anyone and win. Uh, you know, I I think you still beat Kansas. Um, m- I mean, maybe Baylor. Uh, Baylor didn't look particularly impressive to me. Uh, I mean, really, Oklahoma State didn't look very impressive to me. Uh, none of the Big Twelve teams really stood out to me. Kansas State played a pretty decent game. Um, TCU played Duquesne, so that doesn't even count. Uh, uh, Baylor only beat Texas State by nine points. Uh, Oh, like I said, Oklahoma State only beat uh, Missouri State in Stillwater uh, by seven. Uh, Maryland beat West Virginia. And Texas beat uh, Louisiana. Iowa State only beat Northern Iowa by six. Uh, Brock Purdy didn't look too good. Brees Hall only had sixty nine yards on the ground. OU gave up thirty five points to Tulane, and they played in Norman, uh, even though that was supposed to be an away game. Uh, you know they they gave up thirty five to Tulane. I mean, yeah, it's the first game of the year. And everyone's figuring stuff out. Tech saw us figure a lot of stuff out. But, you know, I think towards the end of uh, this conference, I you know, I see one, two, three. I mean, I think we could uh, potentially, you know, only have three losses in conference play. Uh, Granted, that would mean nine wins. Uh, So that's a little a little gutsy to say, but, you know, I think that could possibly be a pretty realistic ceiling for this team, you know, a nine win, nine win, uh, season.
0: The big 12 managed to look both overwhelming and underwhelming. I thought that the conference as a whole, you know, they you picked up some marquee wins. Um, as much as I hate to say it, I was surprised at how good Texas looked against ULL. Um, we're going to find out what that win's actually worth. If UL is as good as I think I think, and a lot of people think, you know, that probably means that Texas is a pretty good little ball club, which I wasn't expecting. I thought that with a new quarterback, new systems across the board, they were going to struggle to start the year. Um, they're going to play a terrible Arkansas team. So we'll find out a bit more about Texas if they really just take Arkansas to the woodshed, which they should. Kansas State gets a big win over Stanford. Really impressive. The Pac-12 North as a whole was god-awful. Um, that was an embarrassment to football, what was going on over there. So, you know, next time you hear about how the pack doesn't need to expand, just remind them that they suck ass at every sport and we'll move on from there because I don't care if they draw TV viewership or not. They're terrible. Um, and I, that that was a little nice vindication to see. You also saw one, really the only, you know, concerning games were OU and Iowa State. West Virginia losing to Maryland, I, I just don't. You know, if you're West Virginia, maybe you overreact to that game a little bit because it does mean you're not going to take the big step you were kind of hoping in. And year, I believe that we're now on year three of the new regime over there. Um, Year four, maybe could also be year two. Honestly, I don't pay that much attention to West Virginia, Uh, but you know that doesn't concern me as much. It was week one. Maryland's a pretty decent little squad. It was a hardly hotly contested game. What did concern me is OU's defense and offense looked bad. Um, you know, we saw more of the Lincoln Riley can't manage a lead show. And then you saw Iowa state up against you and I, and now I expected Iowa state to maybe be a little slow out of the block. It's tough to reset your mindset from being the underdog to being the favorite. So I thought maybe you'd see them struggle for a half. And then I think it was 13, 10 and halftime. half time. And that pointed the, the, you know, the, 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 green flag would go up and they, they'd blow past you and I, that didn't happen. Brees Hall wasn't good. Brock Purdy was awful. They were good defensively, which we expected, but they just neither of the two, you know, assumed favorites, the teams that everybody penciled in to play for the championship, looked it. Um, you know, of everybody, of everybody, Tech was as convincing as anybody else uh, that second half, anyways. The first half was a joke, but the second half, we were as convincing as anybody else in the conference of of performance, with the exception of maybe Texas, who had a pretty strong start to finish win over UL. Um, so with that in mind, for me, your ceiling is probably second or third in conference. I just I can't feel great assuming that Tech can get past both OU and Iowa State. As bad as those two teams look, I just they are probably just better than you. Um, I. Texas is another team that, you know, up in there. It's just hard to say out of that group of three that you're not going to get tripped up by one of them and fall down the ranking just a little bit. Your floor, though, I think is probably higher than most people assume. I think your floor is probably fifth or sixth in conference. I think you're just better than Kansas by so much. Um, Still, you're better than West Virginia. You're better than Baylor. I think you're arguably better than Kansas State. Um, So then you're battling around in this middle group and trying to reach into the higher end um as a team that assumes of course that this offensive line performance doesn't continue your ceiling and floor both will change drastically if what we saw from the offensive line wasn't just game one problems and is a symptom of the rest of the year you know tech doesn't play a lot of the dominant defensive lines in the big 12 the conference has always been stronger actually in the secondary than i would think in the in the defensive line or in the linebacker group um but you know, Houston certainly would not grade out as one of the more dominant defensive lines you are going to face. So, if that symptom that we saw is is the you know the cancer that's going to eat away at our season, it's going to change drastically, and we'll find that out when we get to Texas. I think is when that will become apparent. But I am going to choose to be optimistic and pretend that you know it was just working out your fits in Week One. They'll be ready to go for Week Two. Take another step, Week Three, and then be ready to go for Texas. Um, speaking of the conference as a whole. What is, I think, really unique to me is that as much as we've heard that the Big 12 is dead for the past three months now, or however long it's been since Texas and Oklahoma threw a wrench into everybody's summer plans, uh, the conference looked like it's always looked in football. Pretty good. You know, I, I think that everyone wants to write the obituary of the Big 12 because it's fun and it generates clicks. But, I mean, the conference has not really ever played that bad of football. And this year in particular, the conference is as good as it's ever been, excluding Texas and Oklahoma, you know, who are out the door, and I don't even really consider them part of the conference anymore. Um, You looked as good as you could have. With the exception of U of H, the three teams you're adding looked pretty damn good. UCF beat a good Boise State team in a really gritty performance. BYU picks up a W. Um, um, Cincinnati looked good. U of H is, you know, the – low man on the totem pole out of that group. But I think that's more just Dana Holgerson may actually not be a great coach anymore. Um, he just doesn't look like he knows how to work it over there and he's probably not going to get enough time to fix it. Um, but you know, I, I think that the big 12 as a, as a product on the field, even after Texas and Oklahoma leave is going to be pretty darn good. Um, which is great to see in, you know, it's week one. We're all going to overreact as much as we want, but looking at the broader landscape, uh, of, of, College football to get to this question, Jack. If you're guessing right now, where is Tech falling in the bowl in the bowl schedule? Because I'm going to choose they get a bowl. I don't think at this point I feel like Tech misses a bowl. Where does Tech fall in the bowl rent hierarchy, and who are they up against?
1: Let me pull something up here. Uh, you know, bowl schedules. I don't really look. I, I you know, just because I've been so used to uh watching tech go win four games and three games in these seasons that I haven't even pretended to look at a bowl schedule in years uh you know I think that uh you know maybe you could you could see yourself end up back at NRG possibly in the Texas Bowl on January 4th um You know, you could also be at the Alamo Bowl in San Antonio. I think both of those are solid games for Tech. Uh, It would show Tech against the SEC or the Pac-12. I think we would be yearning to beat up on either an SEC or Pac-12 school. Um, I think also you might see the Liberty bowl or guaranteed rate bowl. I think those are kind of like worst case scenarios for you at this point. Um, just, I don't see how, uh, you can go really lower than that. I think those are the lowest bowls for the big 12 actually. So the Liberty bowl will be, or the guaranteed rate bowl, but I think more than likely, I think you end up probably in that Alamo bowl or that, uh, Texas bowl spot, You know, those are San Antonio and Houston. So I think, again, um, God, I hope if we make that Texas Bowl that there are more tech people there. Uh, Whatever you saw on TV was not very indicative of what the attendance was. Uh, It was shit. I'll be honest. We did not show out very well. And, uh, you know, yeah, the people that were there, we were loud and, uh, we made them hear it and we let them hear it when it needed to be. be. But, uh, you know, I don't, I, I was almost embarrassed at the turnout, uh, for tech fans in that game. There were more Houston people, I think in, or easily more Houston people, uh, in the stands than what tech had. So I, if we get to that Texas bowl, or the Alamo Bowl, you know, tech fans really need to make an effort to get to a bowl game. And why wouldn't you? I mean, it's the first one in four or five years. So, uh, you know, it'd be a good thing to go to.
0: So, the announced attendance for that night was a little over 43,000. Um, and as concerning, I didn't think, I thought we were looking at a crowd that was like 60 to 70% Houston fans. So, that's 30 to 40% tech, um, roughly. But what's concerning, more concerning to me is not the Tech side. Because here's what you have to think about. is If this game was played at TDECU, there would have been about 2,000 Tech fans total. That would have been it. Because it would have been an away game, a true away game. And we just wouldn't have had access to Tech tickets to even fill up the stadium more. And that stadium small in the first place. Um, what's more concerning to me on the attendance front is U of H is about to enter the Big 12. About playing a Big 12 opponent on a Saturday of a holiday weekend. So nobody's got anything going on Monday. So, you know, you have all weekend to rest and recover. Um, Houston is a destination for a lot of people to come travel to, you know, um, this is their home city. It's at NRG, which is a great venue and it's against the best team. They will play at home with the exception of maybe if Cincinnati comes home, you know, or I should say, if Cincinnati comes home, you know, I think Cincinnati is going to be as good as we all think, but, Point being, this was a massive matchup for them, massive matchup, and they couldn't pull. There, there couldn't have been more than twenty five thousand to thirty thousand U of H fans, and I, I, I was blown away. I mean, if I'm U of H's AD, I'm embarrassed. If I, if I'm the president of their school, you know, if I'm Tillman T to the chairman, I'm embarrassed. And then I shut the hell up about the reasons why they didn't make the Big 12 four years ago, because if we weren't absolutely desperate. That showing is why they don't belong in a major power five conference. Because they can't convince people to come to their own city. They can't do it. This was a massive game for U of H. You know, I I heard all kinds of excuses or seen all kinds of excuses. Well, you know, Dana Holkerson's really sapped the life out of the program, et cetera, et cetera. It's year three of a year in which a coach might be fired. It's the first game of that season in your city in an NFL venue against the best or second best matchup. I don't know their home schedule off the top of my head. You're going to get all year. You know, this is this is everything you want it to be. Your chance to show the nation that you guys care about U of H football and you couldn't get people to show up. You know, uh, the Big 12 is not going to go back and revoke um, an offer if that really is coming this week. You know, that's not going to happen. But it is horrifically concerning that we would not have seen a full TDECU with how Houston turned up.
1: You know, I it, think it's. I think it also becomes very obvious that Houston's not even the third best polling school in that city. They're not even the third most popular team in their own hometown, which is no, absurd.
0: I I, I. I. know. I know. True, Houston football fans are worried about that. You know, the the Big Twelve. If we're not to the point where the Big Twelve is kind of desperate to find a valuable media market, there's no chance U of H is getting this invite. Um, and I, I still go back to this sense of. You know, we're making fun of what's going on at UCLA, you know, um, in their first game. U of H's first game is uh, arguably, to me, worse because they had everything to prove on that night and couldn't get couldn't get people to care, couldn't get anybody to care. And that that that's disappointing, you know, to see that they're going to come into the Big 12 and we're still not going to see sellout crowds at their venue. You know, it's not going to happen. This doesn't get turned around in two to three years. It's going to be five plus of U of H not being able to get forty thousand people out to their own stadium, having empty venues every night on national television when Tech comes to town. It's just, it's going to be rough. Um, It's going to be rough, and that that was the big my big attendance takeaway. Tech fans didn't travel well. Kind of saw that coming, but you know, in a normal away game to Houston, you wouldn't travel well. So it's not that big of a concern for me for us, but it is a huge concern for Houston. But I'm going to let Kendall answer the bowl question in a slightly different format, and then we're going to close out. Kendall, uh, looking at the at Tech right now, um, do you get? Do you think there is a chance that Tech could sneak into one of the New York Six Bowls right now? You know, obviously it'd be a huge overreaction to Week One, but you know, do you have any optimism that that could happen?
2: I see the only way like that happens is. Probably finishing second in the conference, and if that includes a loss in the conference championship, that would probably put you in one of the New Year's Six Bowls. But I think you also have to – being realistic, I don't know that that would happen. But if they hit their ceiling that we think is possible with the way the Big 12 looked week one – which would be in that second, third range. I think you'd have a really good chance of seeing a New Year's Six Bowl, but obviously that'd have to come with a lot of passing expectations this year. But I definitely think it's possible if they play like they did in the second half throughout most of the season, I think it's very possible
0: and like I said, we're going to close out now. We didn't really talk about Stephen F. Austin at all. And, you know, no offense to like the three Lumberjack fans that exist out in the world. They just aren't worth caring about. I, I can't I can't even pretend to care. So we're going to close out here without really getting into it. I expect we'll be back next week with Tech at 2-0 and and a lot more to talk about, especially if the game was close. But, you know, we're going to close out. And all I'm going to say is, is that, you know, if we learned anything from Saturday night is that Tech is possible of playing both very, very badly – And very, very well. So I am just, I think we're all just playing that we see more of what we saw in that second half. Um, Because if we see that, I think that, you know, it could be a really, really special year and we could meet some of these expectations that have been set out. And I think that if this plays out how we're kind of seeing how it might be trending, you know, there's a chance Matt Wells can save his job this season. So, you know, a lot still on the line, a lot of football left to be played and a lot to fix after Saturday night. But all in all, what a game, what a win. And, you know, I hope you guys all enjoyed this episode. I'm here with Jack and Kendall. Like I said in previous episodes, if you don't remember, Reed works for the team as an assistant manager, so he's not allowed to talk about him. So you'll see him once we're out of football season, but we're always thinking about him. Wreck him, and I hope you enjoyed listening.